The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
It's good to see a lot of kids, and I know Kids Zone's buzzing back there. If any of y'all have ever been locked in a room with more than one child at a time, the one thing that we pray for is peace and quiet, right? And we're focused on the quiet. I mean, that's, that's the first thing we want. I just want quiet. But when you get down to it, we're really wanting peace. We need some peace. You know, we're bombarded with that on, on TV. You know, some of y'all have seen the, I think it's a Volvo commercial, maybe an Audi, I don't know. Anyway, she's teaching an orchestra, and they're playing bad. And it just keeps getting louder and louder, and she gets in the car and shuts the door, and it's instant peace. Makes everybody want that car. You look at the Jeep commercials, you know, you've got the city life, the buses, the sirens, the horns honking, people screaming. And what do they revert back to? You're in the mountains, the breeze, the river flowing. It's peaceful. We want peace. Most of us in here are old enough to remember Calgon, take me away. You know, peace is something we all strive for. You know, when we decide what is, what is peace, well, it's just the absence of confrontation, anger. There's a lot of words you can put there. And every single one of those words, where do those feelings come from? They come from Satan. Satan is our destroyer of our peace. <clears throat> Even back when Jesus walked the earth, it talks about it in Ephesians. You know, there, were, there was just conflict. Starting in Ephesians verse 2, I'm going to read 14 through 17. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus brought us peace. <clears throat> in, uh, in John, as he was meeting with his disciples right before he was crucified, John 16:33 it says I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. That peace didn't come easily. And that's what we're fixing to remember. There was a cost, there was a price to pay for that peace. And Jesus gave his life, he suffered, he was tortured, and he was killed so that we can sit here in peace. When you submit to Jesus and you're baptized into his body, 
you have access to that peace. A peace that passes all understanding. That's what we're remembering today. We don't take it lightly. In all the noise and the trouble and the turmoil in this world, we have peace. Praise God for that. Heavenly Father, we're, we're so thankful and grateful to be able to come to you right now, partake of this communion, and to remember and honor the plan that you put into place and the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to do for us, that we could become your children and experience your peace and ultimately eternity with you in paradise. Father, bring our minds back to that day, that gift, and how much you love us so that we never forget. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What if you were known by a snapshot of your life? <clears throat> if you didn't get a chance to read Franklin's article this week, uh, I hope you'll go back and do that. Uh, he talks about Paul started as a persecutor, but he finished strong. And we know him as the author of a big chunk of the New Testament. But what if you only took a snapshot of that one part of his life? What if what you did in one moment determined how you were known for the rest of your life? And what if that name wasn't true? We're in this series, I Am. As I said, Franklin's going to finish it out next week. We've been looking at the characters in the Passion Week, in the week of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We looked at Peter and Judas and Barabbas and Nicodemus. I Am is what we're calling it. But now that week is over. It's Sunday. It's Monday. We've had the resurrection. People go back to their jobs. Lives res resume. Is there any more to learn from th this story? I want us to look at one guy that I think is misnamed, and I want us to give him some other names. We're going to be in John chapter 20, and verses. we're going to start in verse 19. If you're online, thank you. Or if you're listening on the radio, thanks for joining us. Uh, John chapter 20, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard. We want to be a Bible-believing church, so everybody lift them up. I want to see that, make sure everybody has a Bible of some sort. If you don't have one, let us know. We'll get you one. There are apps. Many of you use them on your apps. That's totally fine. John chapter 20, I'm going to start in verse 19, and then we're going to jump around a little bit. So start with me in 19. When it was evening of that first day of the week, that's going to be... Easter Sunday, right there. That's going to be Resurrection Day. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now jump down with me to verse 24. Jump into verse 24. It says, But Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, I, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hand, put my finger into the marks of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I'll never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, 
Peace be with you. In the Hebrew, that would have been shalom. That's what we say here. Then he said to Thomas in verse 27, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Put yourself in the sandals of young Thomas. What were his emotions from that day or that week? I mean, he's dealing with grief. He lost his Savior and his teacher, his rabbi. Everything that he believed in is now all cattywampus. We don't know what's going on. There's these people everywhere. Everything is chaos. He's probably overwhelmed at all that's happened. And then one particular night, he... He gets in the car, runs down to the store to get a gallon of milk and some Little Debbies. He comes back, and they've all been talking about seeing Jesus. I was just gone for a little while. What happened? Question. Has God ever confused you? The answer you're looking for is yes. <laughs> Teaching that amen corner right there. Man, I'm digging it. Don't encourage me, kid. Man, that's just not going to... Has God ever confused you? Anyone that has ever dealt with the grief, uh, the loss of a loved one, a close loved one, understands there are five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But what they don't tell you very clearly is those are not linear. Those are not one, two, three, four, five. It's one, four, two, four, one, five, Three, five, one. I mean, you go all over the place. You accept it, and then you don't accept it. And you bargain, and you, you bounce all over the place. Confusion is natural in dealing with grief. Scripture tells us we don't have a mind like God's. We can't understand all that He does, yet we purport to follow Him. And the, the non-believers would look at us and say, See, you don't understand it either. You don't have it all figured out. How come there's so much pain in this world? And we go, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty frustrated at this world too. And they say, see, you don't even believe your own stuff. That's not necessarily true. But sometimes it gets confusing. And before we call him Doubting Thomas, you need to know there are at least 11 others that are doing the same thing. In Luke chapter 20, uh, 24, Luke 24, there's the story of resurrection morning. And the women go down to the tomb and they're taking spices and they go to the tomb and they find this bright shining guy and that's where the interchange, why do you seek the living among the dead, happens. The, the angel says, he is not here, he is risen. So listen to this from Luke chapter 24 and verse 9. So they, meaning those women, rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else, what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Listen to verse 11. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Even the other apostles were skeptical. Why then is Thomas hit with this moniker, Doubting Thomas? Friends, we need to get this. For for us to be Christ followers and for us to make a difference in our community, we must trust that God is at work in every situation, even if we can't see it. Amen? 
He is working even when we can't see it. And we may have to endure some tough situations as followers of Christ. But friends, overwhelming situations, that's where God shines His best. Ruth Dilla was working at her sewing machine at the National Garment Company in Minnesota on Thursday, February 28, 1991. She got a call to come to the boss's office. When she got there, there were two military men in dress uniforms with their hats in their hands, and they spoke, spoke gently to her, but they started with, we regret to inform you. Her, her youngest son, PFC Clayton Carpenter, was in Desert Storm. A cluster bomb had taken out their whole platoon or all that were working, and she collapsed on the floor. She was inconsolable, as any mom would be. Many of you have have dealt with spouses or children in battle, and I can't even imagine what that would feel like. She said afterwards, for three days all I did was weep. People would bring food and cards and, and comfort me, but I would just sit on the couch and I just couldn't let go of the picture of my son in his uniform. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Three days after that meeting in her boss's office and those very gentle military men speaking to her, she was sitting on the couch and people were around and her phone rang. And she answered the phone, and it had a click and a very clear, long distance. You know, there was something weird about it. And the voice on the other end said, Hi, Mom, this is Clayton. And Ruth froze. Surely this is some kind of cruel hoax. This is the dirtiest trick somebody could ever play. And she almost collapsed, but he kept talking. No, Mom, it's me. I promise it's me. I'm okay. I'm alive. You see, when the explosion happened, it literally blew him behind a building and knocked him unconscious. When they came in to clean it up, they they just expected and assumed he was in the pile with everybody else. Some locals found him, took him to a hospital in another town, and once he finally got his senses back a couple of days later and he could get back to his unit, he, he called his mom. Can you imagine what that mom went through? Pain and then elation, but I don't want to believe it because what if it's really not, what if it really isn't? What? I don't want to get my hopes up. You hear what I'm saying? Maybe that's how we would have reacted at the tomb or in that upper room. I mean, the doors are locked, they're hiding, and Jesus just strolls through the walls, comes in. Hey guys, what's going on? What's for dinner? You know, I mean, I, how did that play out? Maybe, maybe we were confused. Maybe, maybe all of this was a cruel hoax. And in that moment, I am Thomas. I have beliefs and I have doubts. Anybody? Christianity sometimes confuses me. I hear the words of the Bible, yet I see the pain in my world. I, I want to believe that I can be forgiven, but... Let's be honest, I know what I've done. I, I want to believe I'm loved, but I've seen how many times I've let him down, and I know I would give up on people when they let me down that many times. Surely God is going to, let, he's going to give up on me. You see what I'm saying? 
And the lyrics of that song just ring in my ears. Be strong. Be not afraid, for the Lord is soon on His way. He will break through the darkness of whatever you're dealing with. Just like Thomas, you may have doubts, but He will break through. And we call him Doubting Thomas, but do you realize he did something no other human did at that moment? Look at John chapter 20. Look down at verse 26. A week later, now, in liturgical backgrounds, today is what's called the Sunday of St. Thomas. It is, you know, you have Palm Sunday that's the week before, and then you have Easter Sunday. And the Sunday after is, uh, the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday is the Sunday of St. Thomas. When this interaction happens, he's in that room too, and Jesus says, come up here and touch my hands and, and feel my side. And then look in verse 28 what he says. In verse 28 he says, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Some of the commentaries said a better translation of the Greek would be, the Lord of me and the God of me. Did you hear what he just said? He proclaimed the deity of Jesus. He proclaimed that Jesus was God. Now you might think, what's the big deal about that? Because it is that statement. That's what got Jesus killed to begin with. Because he upset the Pharisees when they said, do you think you're the Son of God? you think you're, you're deity? And he says, yes, I am the Messiah. Well, that made him mad, and that's why they tacked him to a tree. And here comes Thomas, doubting Thomas, is the first one, and he declares Jesus. He is confessing Thomas. He is declaring Thomas. Question, have you declared him? Have you confessed him before men? We were in here last Wednesday morning, and... At Bacon Brothers, Bacon Brothers and Men's Breakfast, first and third Wednesday of the month, and, and Franklin put together, and we got to come down here in this room, and I got to watch my friend Franklin baptize my friend Ryan Bolma. Ryan had called and asked if he could be baptized with this group of guys that meets together, that hangs on to each other. We don't do deep Bible study. We just pray together. We just hang on to each other. We're a band of brothers, and he declared that I am a follower of Jesus, and I wanted to do that around my brothers and sisters. Scripture says, if I confess him before man, uh, that Jesus will confess me before heaven. Have you done that? Have you declared him? Before we call Thomas doubter, we need to realize he became confessing Thomas and declarating Thomas. And did you notice that Jesus did not berate Thomas. He says, because you have seen, you have believed. But remember when Jesus was on the boat and the storm came and Jesus was sleeping and they run down there and go, don't you care that we're about to die? He says, why do you not yet know me? As if to say, why? Have you not listened to anything I've said? When Peter is walking on the water and Peter starts to sink. By the way, Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. Peter is walking on the water, and he starts to sink, and Jesus grabs him and he says, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? But here, when we call him doubting Thomas, Jesus doesn't doesn't berate him, doesn't condemn the doubt of Thomas. I think there's a big lesson to be learned there. Don't slam doubters. Don't berate people that don't have it all figured out. Alfred Lord Tennyson once wrote, 
There lives more faith in honest doubt than in half of the creeds on earth. Friends, maybe you have friends that aren't coming to church. Don't belittle them. Don't say, well, if you just get your life together. We need to get rid of that kind of talk. Because some people are still questioning. They're still trying to figure things out. Questions can be the very first steps back from doubt to understanding. I believe Thomas was from Missouri. Because Missouri is the... Hey, you get a thousand points for geography right there. Uh, The show me state. I want you to show me before I believe. Friends, I believe this. Others need to see Jesus in us before they will believe that He is for them. I'll say that again. Others need to see Jesus in us. We need to show them Jesus in us before they can believe that Jesus is for them. And one more thing about this interaction, one more note about this interaction with Thomas. Did you notice when he believed? It wasn't when he saw a halo or an angel standing there. It's when he saw the wounds, those wounds, the ones he took for you and me. That's what changed Thomas. French philosopher Simone Weil, she said, Hitler could have been resurrected 50 times and I'd never worship him. But when I behold the one on the cross, those wounds won my heart. The heart of Thomas had been won. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. All is at rest. All is peace. Just what Wayne was sharing. That is our declaration that this is our story and this is our song. So what about the rest of the story of Thomas? Anybody know how Thomas died? Thomas, anybody? Died a martyr? Anybody would would you... Okay, short answer. They all died martyrs, all right? All of the apostles died horrible deaths, okay? Except really John. He was exiled. I still think he died a horrible death, in my opinion, because he had to be exiled out there. But all of that idea, if anybody ever asks you what happened to the apostles, they all died awful deaths. But there's more to his story. Doubting Thomas becomes evangelizing Thomas. After this story, he all but disappears from Scripture. But history will tell us, and origin will tell us, that he went on to do some really incredible things. There are extra-biblical books of history that say the apostles got together and they cast lots to say, where are we going to go and talk about Jesus? And his lot fell to go to a place called Parthia. It's what we would call modern-day Iran. He stayed there a few years, but he moves on in 50 A.D. to India. He felt God calling him to India, and he evangelized there. He established seven churches on the southwest coast that are still there today. 2,000 years later, those churches still exist. That's amazing. Uh, I get to read a book called The Act of Thomas this week. Now, you need to understand this is what's called an apocryphal book. It has some history to it, and it has a lot of legend to it that we can't really verify, but some of the historical stuff was fun. He met in the northern part of India a guy named King Gandufferus. Everybody say King Gandufferus. You mangled it just like I did. So, um, King Endephorus really liked him, and he found out that Thomas was a builder. 
We know him as a fisherman and a carpenter. He was a builder. And he, this king really liked him. He said, tell you what, I'm going to be gone for a couple of years. I want you to build me a palace. So he gives him a bunch of money to build him a palace. Here's a bunch of materials. Here's all the workers that you need. I'm going to be gone. I'll come back. He left, and Thomas used the money and the, money, the materials to build churches. And then he gave the rest of the money to the poor people. And this king came back, and he was not happy. Where's my palace? And he said, I built you seven palaces. All of these people know the Lord because of you. Your palace is in heaven. And the king became a believer. And later on, he moves to the south of India, and he meets a guy named King Mystius. This is historically true. Mystius was a a priest in the Hindu religion. And he wanted everybody in his kingdom to be Hindu. But this Thomas comes in and meets him. And Thomas converts his wife named Tertia, his son named Josanus, his sister-in-law named Magdonia, and his friend Marcia. And the king is so mad that his family is worshiping this Jesus that he puts out a contract on Thomas. And he sends four guys after Thomas with spears. And they capture him, and they're about to kill him. And if you look at some of the ancient artwork, Thomas is frequently drawn with a spear in his hand when he never was a warrior. And, and he's frequently drawn with a carpenter square in another hand. But uh, according to the legend, we don't have this verified, that these four men, they capture him, they're about to kill him. And he supposedly said, I rejoice that I get to die by the same instrument that dispatched my Savior. The spear in Jesus' side. And doubting Thomas becomes confessing and declaring Thomas, becomes evangelistic Thomas, becomes bold Thomas. Our God is great at creating bold people out of ordinary people. Bold people telling their friends about how great God is. Why does any of this matter, Don? What does this matter? It matters this. You're not a scene in your life. You're not just doubting Thomas or mistake-prone. Let me ask you this. If you're going to judge me on my life, shouldn't I get to pick the the scene? And and if I'm picking the scene, don't you think we're going to want a good hair day? You know what I mean? You know, someday where I'm really looking... No jokes intended there. Uh, I want it to be someday where I looked really great and I did really great and I acted really great. Anyone? Is that how it happens? Nah. Never happens that way. It's usually a snapshot of some horrible day when you did something stupid and everything went wrong, right? Friends, if we don't want people to judge us on a snapshot day of our life, maybe we shouldn't judge. You hearing me? A snapshot, friends, is not the sum of your life. It's just a scene. You might have doubts. Great. I'm glad you're here. You don't have to have it all figured out to be here. Some people say, you get your life straight and you come to church. No, 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 no. Come here. Let's keep listening. Let's keep reading. Let's keep talking together. And you'll commit to that. We will, we will see this together and we will understand our doubts together. You might have baggage. You might have made mistakes. Guess what? So has every other person in this room. Amen? Everybody's blown it. We've all made mistakes. Sir Edmund Hillary 
He attempted Everest three times before he completed it in 1953. But I read a story that after his first failed attempt, he stood at the base of the mountain and he shook his fist and he said, I'm going to be back and I'm going to win because you're as big as you're ever going to get and I'm getting stronger. And I think that's pretty powerful. He didn't see it as failure. He saw it as a moment of growth. He saw that God could do something amazing in him, that he's being bold in what he believes. In our Tuesday night class, one of our our college students, a guy named Sterling Stubbs, he shared a clip from a book called The Cure by John Lynch. I shared it with our Wednesday class. I've read it every day this week. It's absolutely wrecked me. I want you to hear this. This is amazing. The book says, this passage from the book says this, Nature provides many examples of this Incredible discrepancy between who we appear to be and who we truly are. Consider the caterpillar. If we brought a caterpillar to a biologist and asked him to analyze it and describe its DNA, he would tell us, I know this looks like a caterpillar to you, but scientifically, according to every test, including DNA, this is, a fully, this is fully and completely a butterfly. God has wired into a creature looking nothing like a butterfly, a perfect and complete butterfly identity. And because the caterpillar is a butterfly in essence, it will one day display the behaviors and attributes of a butterfly. The caterpillar matures into what is already true about it. And so it is with us. God has given us the DNA of righteousness. We are saints. Say amen right there. We are His. We are saints. Nothing we do will make us more righteous than we already are. Nothing we do will alter this reality. God knows our DNA. He knows that we are His. And now He is asking us to join Him in what He knows is true. Man, that's powerful. You have the DNA of a Christ follower. You are in the story of Jesus. I am Thomas, and I am Peter, and I am Barabbas, and I am Judas. I am in this story, and guess what? You and I are Christ to this community. Now, your holiness and your divinity and your perfection is not in your efforts. You can't get there. But you are in His creation, His child. Inside you beats the heart of a Christ follower. I am Thomas. I have doubts. But I think we need to change His name. Because that is a snapshot of one moment in His life. He wasn't that. We should never call him Doubting Thomas again. He was evangelizing. He was declaring. He was bold. And I want us to be bold about our faith. No more doubts. And when we do have doubts, that we share them with each other. Look, I'm struggling. I'm worn out. I'm, I'm emotional. And we need to be reminded we have the DNA of a Christ follower. We are His. Let's pray. Almighty God, You are strong. And you are on your way. And I pray that we hear you. 
and we shine you, that you will shine through the darkness of whatever is is attacking people in this room, people watching online, listening on the radio, whatever it is that they're doing, and they're feeling that pressure, and they're feeling that, that darkness. I pray that you break through that. You are strong. And you're asking us to be strong. And you're asking us to be bold. And we can't do it in our power. We can only do it in your strength. So, Father, be strong in us. May we be Christ to this community. Give us your boldness. Make us your children. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.